Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sara El Arifi is the internationally best-selling author of The Final Strife and The Battle Drum, the first two installments of the Ending Fire trilogy, inspired by her Ghanaian and Sudanese heritage. She has lived in many countries, had many jobs, and owned many more cats. After a decade of working in marketing and communications, she returned to academia to complete a master's degree in African studies alongside her writing career. El Arifi knew she was a storyteller from the moment she told her first lie. Over the years, she has perfected her tall tales into epic ones. She currently resides in London as a full-time procrastinator, and today we talk about Feybound, her new fantasy novel that comes out January 23rd. I hope you enjoy this fun and casual conversation. Happy reading! Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Emma here, and today I'm very excited to have this author on. We have Sara El Arifi to talk about Feybound. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here to talk about what is one of my most anticipated books of the entire year. Oh my God. Uh, Faye Bound. So for our listeners, this book comes out on January 23rd in the United States, January 18th in the UK. So not yeah. too long to wait now. Yeah, crazy. I don't know where the year's gone. <laughs> it's very exciting. And so for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what to expect in Faye Bound? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny because you always get, I as an author, even though I've been doing this for so many years, I always get stumped by that question. I'm like, what are these books about? And I've been <laughs> yeah. writing for years. Um, so let me attempt to. Um, Feybound is about two sisters who get captured by the Fae. Um, the Fae in their world has not really existed outside of history books. They pretty much thought the Fae had gone extinct. Um, and it is a fated mates uh enemies to lovers um a lot a lot of lovers <laughs> um it's just it's just the been the biggest joy writing about fey and mixing together and the cultures that i grew up in in a new and unique way and i just i've just loved it and hopefully readers do too i can only speak for myself but i will say that every chapter i read of this book it was like it just made me smile. And every like thing that was revealed that I won't mention, I was just like <laughs> either extremely happy or just in shock. Yeah, I love twists. And <laughs> I think people who've read my earlier work have got to this. I, I don't even try and do it, but there's like almost like a three 
twist structure structure that I always have. I have one twist that I always kind of lay the breadcrumbs for that I really want readers to like know and figure out because I want them to feel like, you know, you got one. And then I have another twist that's a little bit more obscure that, you know, some readers who are really clever will figure out. And then I'll have one that is just so left field that <laughs> very few people figure out. Yes. Yes. I'm like, we may have to chat about this off recording for spoilers, but there, I love that though, where there's like breadcrumbs sort of peppered throughout. And then a few that are a little bit more, a little bit trickier to figure out. Yeah. So where did the idea for this first book, this is a new trilogy, right? Yeah, it is. Um, So I hadn't even actually finished the first trilogy that I was writing. And this concept just came to me, this like magic, magical kind of drums. I was thinking that's re- that's a really interesting magical concept, like drum magic. And then I thought, imagine if that drum was made with a magical beast's skin. And that's from the skin, from the drum skin is like where the magic is most potent. And so then I started thinking about the beasts that would make up the drum skin, pretty morbid. <laughs> but then I start, and then the world just started to unravel. And I was like, wow, okay, this is something that I absolutely have to explore. Um, and I remember kind of fi- filing it away in my brain with the many other concepts, book concepts that I have bubbling away there. And um, before the, even the final strife came out in um, 2022, my editor said to me, have you got another idea? Because, you know, we're really interested. We can see that the final strife is getting a lot of buzz. We're really interested in like continuing our partnership. And I was like, guys, my first book's not even out yet. Um, and they and they said, you know, can, can you tell me anything? And I said, I think the, the exact phrase I said was, uh, "Black thirsty elves with drum magic," and then <laughs> and I saw my editor's face, and she's like, "This sounds amazing." And I was and she was like, "Can you can you write me up a sample?" And I was like, "But I've got some other books to write first. <laughs> she's like, "No, no, do it, please. We're really interested." And um, yeah, and I, I just wrote it and it, I wrote it so quickly. And like the whole novel, I think, took me from first page to the last page, the first draft, which is always absolute rubbish. Um, but the first rubbish draft, it took me about six weeks from the first word to the last period. Wow. So, yeah, that yeah. everything just like really came to you. Yeah, because it's really interesting because I only have, when I'm kind of coming up with a concept I just have concepts I don't have anything beyond like drum magic elves I knew the fae and humans were going to be other two beings I knew there was going to be this magical beast but I had no sense of plot and so I have to write to figure out the plot and so this just came to me really quickly and I often tidy up and and my edits are huge like massive edits I you know I I think the final strife started off at um 300 pages and ended up at like 650 pages so it was like a real like my edits are huge um and because I have no idea of plot when I'm starting it so I have to like get to the end to go okay now you need to absolutely <laughs> rewrite everything so yeah it, it did Fabian definitely came to me really quickly but I love that that's your process. And I do love asking authors that because it's so different for every single person, yeah. just sort of how you work through a story and the characters. And so that was another question I had is like, how, how did all of the pieces of the world building sort of come together? I mean, there's magic here, there's fae, elves, there's a lot of mythology. There's like the three gods, we have the magical beasts. There's just a lot of different elements. 
how does all of that sort of start to take shape? Yeah, so I think for me is I work at the world building um, in in each edit. So Feybound didn't actually go through that many edits, but um, when I start, I start the first draft is just like plot, <laughs> just like who is who. Um, and then in the next edit, I start to piece together the smaller details. So for me, it's all about building up that iceberg of like world building. So the reader sees the tip and, you know, I have everything else under the surface. And so a lot of what I I do in my planning stages is like, I know the culture and the, so there's there's four different districts in, in Feybound, um, Eclipse, Crescent, um, uh, Waning and Waxing. So those are the, the four based on, on the moon, um, obviously. Um, and, uh, so in those kind of four districts, I have built the culture, the, um, the, the, the politics, the environment. I know that it might be a throw, a throwaway line in Feybound. It's like, it might even just be one word, but I have built up that whole system. And I think, um, that definitely comes during edits. And a lot of it, I lent on my own culture, my own, um, upbringing. So, I'm Ghanaian, Sudanese and British, but I was raised in the Middle East and Sheffield in the UK. So I have a lot of different kind of cultures influencing me. Um, I talk about food a lot in all my books. And it's because like food has been such a staple of the way that I was raised, because one day I would have like mulahia, which is an Arabic dish. And then the next day I'd have fufu, which is a Ghanaian dish. And the day after that I'd have fish and chips. <laughs> so I'm so lucky that I have that kind of well of culture to to just dive into and to borrow from to build these well what like new worlds which is really fun I love that and so you mentioned that the very first draft of this took about six weeks what is your ideal writing setup sort of during that time like do you have to be in a particular spot like do you have music no music what is your setup to <laughs> to write these books this is quite funny, and I don't actually think I've said this publicly anywhere, but Feybound was mainly written in the bath. <laughs> so I have like a wooden plank that I put across the bath and I put my laptop on it and I will sit there. And Feybound was, yeah, I'd say easily 80% of it was written in the bath. And I will sit there for like four hours, like the water will have gone cold and I will still be typing away. And I don't know why, but for me, that was that was where I had to write Feybound. Um, the final strife and, and the battle drum and the ending fight, actually, I all wrote at my desk because I have enough. I have a desk. I don't need to write <laughs> in the bath. Um, and then I think actually elements of the ending fire, I, I kind of got stifled by my study. I don't know why. I was just like, my office is not working for me today. Um, and that was done on the sofa. But I also kind of um, do really well writing when I'm traveling. So if I'm on long train journeys, um, on flights, often on the tube, so the underground in the, in London, um, if I'm going, because anywhere in London, if you want to travel, it's a minimum 45 minute journey. So I just get my phone out and I use the notes app and I write a bunch of words. And I normally can do like, if it, if I'm in the flow, I can do like 40, uh, in 45 minutes, probably like a thousand words. And then I copy and paste it into to Word. I just like, I use every single second that I can. <laughs> and then actually there'll be some days where, you know, the whole whole 12 hours, I can only get 700 words out. And um, 
but then I I have to trust myself that the next day I'll I'll manage to to like make it up somehow. Um, but yeah, it is it's generally chaos when I write. Um, I don't listen to any music. I drink a lot of tea, um, and yeah, silence is the only the only way I can do it. Okay, but I love that you sort of go where it ebbs and flows, and that there are some places where it just works and others where it it doesn't and that it changes depending on what you're working on yeah absolutely it's just it was so funny that Feybound just required a bath I had to be in water (laughs) sounds like the ideal setup though (laughs) oh it's pretty great yeah it's pretty great (laughs) and now correct me if I'm saying any of the characters names incorrectly uh always tricky with fantasy so we have two sisters that we follow for the bulk of the book Yirin and Lettle yeah, year and little. It's funny you talk about pronunciation, and so when you do the audio books, I, I just have to talk about because pronunciation for me is a nightmare as well. Um, because when you're writing, you don't often think about how it sounds, and when you do audio books, you have to send a whole bunch of like pronunciation guides, and sometimes it's the first time I'm saying that word out loud, and I'm like, I just made this up, or it's a derivative of an Arabic word that doesn't sound like this anymore. <laughs> so yeah, I struggle with pronunciation as well. Well, and I think as well, I mean, as a a reader of fantasy, sometimes I just like sort of gloss it over in my head, you know, because you're like, "Mm, I'm not quite sure about this, but I know who it is. And we're just going (laughs) to, and so then when I I have to ask authors the question, I'm like, wait, do I know how to say this at all? And I speak, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we have two sisters, their dynamic as sisters, you know, and siblings is, is heartwarming, but it's also complex. So what made you want to write about specifically their sister dynamic? So I'm an elder sister. And um, for me, I just think there's something so special about the silly little, like no matter how old I am, (laughs) no matter that I'm in my mid thirties, when I'm with my sister, I turn into a child. And also not from just like a, a we, we start, you know, laughing and doing silly things, but also from an argument perspective, some of our arguments are just so silly and stupid. And I thought that's a really interesting dynamic, like the way that you you love this person so deeply, but you can also hate them very much in a way that's not, you know, it's surface level hate. It's in that moment you just, my sister can make me angrier than anyone in the world. And yet I love her so much and I will do anything for her. And I thought, right, I need to explore this in like a a much wilder setting in a most explosive in a more explosive way where there are things like war going on and people are prisoners and things like that and for me it was it was pushing the, that sisterly bond to the limit and seeing what would happen and I just yeah I really love that there's a, a line in the book which is the the scars of their life fused them together and I think that's so true about sisters like you or siblings at all you you don't choose each other but you are forever ingrained in each other's lives and I think you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a built on trauma but I think there is something really interesting about exploring that trauma that you've been through with someone um and so yeah year and little came to me yeah and I like that the the through line though of the story is right that they they sort of have their issues they know how to press each other's buttons almost immediately but you can sort of see how much they do care for one another and that that sort of love when everything comes you know to potentially harm them they're sort of they're each other's first advocate uh, absolutely without, 
revealing anything at all about what happened. But I also think it's really interesting, like they can remember certain things as siblings totally differently. Yeah. So the way that you remember certain experiences, and I think you touched on this a little bit from each of their perspective, they describe the same exact thing, but with slightly different twist. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's really fascinating. Yeah. And that's definitely borrowed from my own experiences. You know, um, I think one of the scenarios in which they remember things differently is that I think Lettle screams in a clearing and scares away a creature that her uh, Yiran and her father were trying to hunt. And so Yiran's memory of it is um, that Lettle ruined that hunt and Lettle remembers Yiran running towards her and ruined that hunt. So their perspectives, they both blame each other. And I think that's so interesting. I love playing with how people see things differently, even though like the facts of it were both the same, the blame and the experience was different. And I, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. Exactly. How you can just sort of twist it a little bit to sort of what you, what you remember and might not be the exact same as your siblings. And now the title of the book is Feybound. We learn what that means in the context of the story. When did the title of this book become (laughs) Feybound or was it always? Okay, no. So (laughs) I I don't think I've spoken about this publicly either. Um, So it was originally, and I have to preface with this with the fact that every title I've ever chosen has been changed. Everyone has always hated a title I've chosen, so I, I kind of choose them knowing they're gonna ch- they're gonna change. And at this stage, my agent didn't even let it get to my editor. She was like, "No." And so the original um, title was Glory Bound, and my <laughs> agent was like, "No, it just sounds either like a self help book, that <laughs> self help book, or." something about S&M. So I think, <laughs> I think maybe not. Um, and so the second version was Beast Bound, um, which I liked, but gave a different connotation to Feybound. I think Feybound is softer, immediately draws those people who read particularly Fey books will know straight away, okay, it's Fey Bound, it's a Fey book. Um, and so from a marketing perspective, I under- totally understood why they preferred Fey Bound. Um, but I had a three three book, it's like a kind of construct. I had like, uh, it was going to be Beast Bound was going to be book one, and then Fey Bound was going to be book two, and then Thrice Bound was going to be book three. And all of that is not the case anymore. So that's totally been changed. Um so we'll see what they decide book two is going to be called. Um, I wait with bated breath. I, I have no idea because, yeah, honestly, I'm terrible with titles. No, and so I love the title Fate Bound and, and certainly in the context of the book, what it means to yeah. the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it looks gorgeous on the cover of the book as well. I know so. the cover is so gorgeous. I love it. It's so good. And just because we're talking about it, I do love talking about covers because obviously you say don't judge a book by the cover, but it is something that intrigues us or catches our eye. How did the cover sort of come to be for this? Oh, this is actually, yeah, I love it. It's probably one of my favorite covers I've ever actually seen on any book ever. Um, And it was... One of the most difficult processes, um, not from my perspective, I'm fairly easygoing when it comes to, um, you know, they pitch me ideas. I'm like, great, let's try this. Let's see. Um, 
but we had, I think we actually had four, no, I think we had 12 concepts in March last year. Um, and all of them got ditched um, because within the process of marketing and sales, no one could agree. And so I think all 12 of them ended up being ditched. Um, and then we had, we briefed in an illustrator and it was the same kind of concept of what we had now, but my editor wasn't fully happy with it. And I think she was entirely right. I think the the style wasn't right. And then she found this illustrator, so Joe Wilson. Um, and so by this point, we're now in like October last year. So it was a really late release um, cover because we'd gone through so many iterations. But I'm so glad because at the end, at the end of the day, we got like the most incredible cover. So um yeah I'm just I'm just so happy and I, I just love it it's so evocative um it's like romantic but also quite like crimsony I don't know it gives me lots of feelings and I love it it does and you actually got quite a few really cool cover editions yes. <laughs> uh, with this so like there's the Waterstones edition uh yes. the Goldsboro one which was stunning and then the fairy loot as well right yes yeah, so um I've been very, very lucky to have some amazing editions. So I, I call the the kind of main edition um, the midnight edition because um, it's it's midnight. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we have the fairy loot edition, which is dawn, um, which is blue and it's got a sun, so it's slightly different illustration. And then um, the Goldsboro, which is twilight. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm just so lucky. They're just amazing and all different sprayed edges. It's just yeah, really lucky. I love that. I love the sprayed edges. It's always like a nice added touch. So to have yeah. a gorgeous cover and the edge. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now, going back to the content of the book a little bit in the story, we have these magical creatures, which I don't think is a spoiler to mention them. Nope. Obia. 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 Yeah. And they represent very different things. Uh, we find out to the elves and to the fae. And so I'm yes. wondering where that idea, you know, for these creatures and and for their role uh, yes. with these different <laughs> elves and fae sort of came from. Yeah. So um, Obia as a concept is actually a West African magic system. Um, and it was something that I've always been really intrigued um about and with um and while I was doing my master's in African studies which I completed last year um which I just did for fun <laughs> while I'm writing many many books but it was fun um I was really intrigued and interested in this kind of West African uh, magic system that still really exists in the world and um, I had seen in Ghana and um you know some of my aunties and you know it could be something as small as if their left knee kind of twinges, they think it's going to rain. Do you know what I mean? It could be as small as that, or is it, it could be as big as I'm going to predict your death. Um, and so I'm really interested in Obia. And I started looking at it as kind of a justice-based magic system. And I thought, that's really interesting. So what if a creature, what would a creature look like if it was made out of this system that's so vast and so wide um you know it's, it's wide ranging across the world what would it look like and I just started building this creature of the things I loved so I was like okay I want massive stag antlers and then I want the body of a leopard and I just think that that's so it feels both it, it, in a, a lot of ways it's the pieces of me it's like meeting the west 
the, the North meets the South, you know, it's like the, the African and, and the Asian, and then also the European, you know, it, it feels really interesting. And I could probably write an essay about it. I won't because I don't have to do that anymore, thankfully. <laughs> but I think it is really interesting. Um, this creature that kind of came out of my imagination and imagination based on these debates I was having with myself. Um, and then kind of putting them into a very awful situation where they're being hunted for their skin to make drums or to be fletchlings on on arrows and things like that um, because they are innately magic and they're the only creature within the elf world that has magic and so that's where they they kind of fuel their weapons for war um the way the fey kind of interact with them is very different and that's more on the verging of spoilers so i won't i won't talk about that but i think um yeah i i love the way like just turning certain things you know you think something is one thing but it's actually very much not um and yeah i i i think that's uh a twist that i love in the book and it's not it's not necessarily a twist but i think it's a, a very big plot point um and Pila is probably one of my favorite characters that I've ever, ever written. <laughs> She's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I do love, though, that this sort of creature came out of a lot of different things for you and, and part of just your imagination. Because I think sometimes, you know, fantasy stories rely on other, you know, mythological references or things like that. So when I was reading this, I was like Googling, like, is this real? Is this, what is this? Yeah. It's <laughs> so cool. Um, you know, where you drew the inspiration from and, and then sort of let imagination take over. Oh yeah. That is like, that for me is basically how I work. I will start with the seeds of maybe something that exists, the, the tiniest, tiniest seed of something um, and then my, my mind will just take it so much further than it ever needs to go. But I love that. And that's why, you know, we have these wonderful books to read and sort of take us to new places that we just would not expect to be. You mentioned uh, in this story that uh, prophecy. And so prophecy plays a large part in a lot of things that we see in Feybound. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up. On 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I'm interested to know why you think Lettle is so drawn to knowing all of the things she can about the future when sort of a big part of prophecy is that you can't necessarily do anything to change it. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. It's kind of... Um 
it's the control freak within me <laughs> that exists in Lettle. And it's this idea that if you know it, you can change it. Not that you can change it, but if you know it, that you you have a sense of control. Um, and I think one of the ways that she explains it is um, prophecy will, you know, for example, example, tell you that there's a drought coming in two weeks. Now, if you know that, you can put a bucket out now to collect rainwater. And I think that kind of level of control allows her to, yeah, just make sense of the world because she's had such a rough upbringing. I think Lettle's con- consistently trying to have power over things that she just can't and hasn't ever in her life. Um, and the way that di- divination kind of works in the world is that, again, because magic only comes from the obia you have to, God, it's so brutal. It's, you have to read the entrails of the creatures. So, um, entrail reading is something that, you know, has existed for millennia and is something that, um, I did a lot of research into, but then again, the seed of it and I took it further. Um, and I think, yeah, the way that, so that's something that's, Lettle sees herself as diviner. So that's something that she does. She will read entrails to, to come out with prophecy. And I think it is, 100% about control and it is yeah her trying to make sense of everything going on around her and she does spend a good again it's so hard I don't want to spoil anything but she does (laughs) sort of spend a good amount of time at the book I think trying to control things that she can't (laughs) as we often do (laughs) yeah and I think once you have a prophecy that's told about you because it's really rare for you to tell for you to, to kind of receive a prophecy about yourself um I think you want to change it even though she knows that she can't and it's something that she you know there's uh, I'm, I'm writing book two at the moment she's still resisting she's still resisting a lot of prophecy and even though it's there it's written in stone it's like she she absolutely doesn't want to believe it and I think because it's almost, even though prophecy isn't necessarily word-based, it's like a feeling, like they translate it into language when they're reading, um, which is part of the experience of um, divination. There is, it is still open to interpretation. And I think that is something that for her is like, well, what if it's wrong? <laughs> even though it's not, and it has never been. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's always that slight possibility or or maybe hope that it could be incorrect. Exactly. You did mention at the start of our conversation that some of the elements in this book include faded mates, include enemies to lovers. So there are a lot of sort of romantic interests for characters in this story. Did you know going in uh, sort of how you wanted those romantic interactions to sort of play out and, and how did all of those come to be? So yes, definitely. Um, I I knew that there was going to be a sapphic relationship um, from the get-go. I knew um, even in writing the sample, I was like, okay, well, Yuren is gay. That was just automatically came out. Um, most of my characters are, are queer in some way or another. Um, and then I also knew that there was going to be this more, I guess, typically heterosexual relationship um, that was going to be fated mates. And those two just kind of playing with those two relationships in different perspectives was so much fun. And that was always going to be the way I was always leaning with Feybound was more towards like the romance genre. Whereas like the final strife for me 
was a really kind of raw and unflinching portrayal of identity and loss and something that I was I was experiencing as writing the final when I was writing the final strife so I always say that kind of like the final strife is very much me representing black pain whereas Feybound is black joy and I think both are so important so important um but Feybound was just went in that direction and yeah I was absolutely having the time of my life with those romantic relationships and just, you know, it's it's always going to be awkward writing sex scenes um, and, you know, more than one um, and having multiple people edit them and multiple people copy edit them um, and have opinions on them. But do you know what? I was just like, yes, it is strange thinking my mum is currently reading it, (laughs) but, you know, it's fine. Um, I think they've seen worse. I, I said to my mom said to me once, um, I skipped all the violence in the final strife. I was like, what did you read? If you skipped all the violence, so she's probably going to skip all the sex in Fate. And so we'll see. <laughs> I think as someone that reads a good amount of romance and romanticy, I think all of the scenes were very, very, very well done. Thank you very much. That means a lot. (laughs) In just one person's opinion. And it's so subjective in what, you know, what you sort of enjoy or are looking for in those sorts of scenes. But um, it can, it can be tricky, but I think it was very well. I don't want to say it was very tastefully done, but it was. The the language was lovely. (laughs) Thank you. There was a lot of discussion. So I basically workshopped as many words as I could with a lot of my writer friends and we were all sitting down I remember we were actually in a cafe as well so this was in public (laughs) I was like so shall I use this word and everyone's like no not that one (laughs) so it was basically sex scenes written by an entire room full of fantasy authors right in a cafe with fans but that's that's fantastic though because I do think you try to get creative with how you're going to write it or you sort of determine what level of you know I don't want to say explicitness but like how much you want to go into it or not absolutely yeah Uh, and And I I knew I wanted to go all in but then there was like certain phrases I was like I just don't want to use that phrase takes me out of it so um yeah that was that was tricky, but you know what? So much fun. Exactly. But it very well done. Um Thank it you. just everything just seemed to flow really nicely together in the in the setting, in the story, in the world building. I really enjoyed the relationships between these characters as you sort of see the things develop. It was just fantastic. Thank you. That means you're, a lot. You're so welcome. And now there are also some, there are so many cool elements to this. I'm already like just eagerly awaiting book two and book one is not out yet, but um, there's also (laughs) a fair amount of sort of political court intrigue um, that happens in the story. There is obviously a war happening in the Elven world. So there's all of those politics as well. I'm interested in how you sort of crafted all of those different like political layers, because it seems like most people are trying to achieve the same thing but a lot of other elements are getting in the way with again without giving too much away but just how did you approach sort of adding all of those different political layers so I think it comes actually quite naturally to me to kind of have like a a political or or almost like military 
kind of setting or background. Um, and definitely when I first wrote the first draft of Feybound was about double the length of time in the elven world before they went to the Fey realm. And I think that that was all down to me world building and setting up for book two, which rightfully my editors were like, we don't actually need to know what's happening in, you know, waxing or crescent right now. We just need to know what's happening waning, which is Euron and Lettle's district, and then move to the Fey realm. <clears throat> which absolutely they were right. You know, I was I was wasting time there because I knew that I had this backstory that I needed for book two and three. Um and when when I build those kind of political systems, I I look at the real world. <laughs> That's what's really sad. It's like I look at how the real world is built, I look at the wars that are going on, and I think and, and fundamentally you get to the you get to the crux of it and you're like, oh this is so stupid. Like why is this happening? Um and I almost wanted that feeling when I was writing Feybound, like exasperation with that. Why is there so much violence where it just doesn't really make sense? Um, and unfortunately, that's a mirror to our, our real world. Um, but I I do kind of set up, okay, this is the political views of this world. This is this district. This is who's aligning with this one, even though it's not, you know, again, it will be mentioned like a second in the book. Um, I need that there. So I know that you know, that world is fully formed. And then when it came to the Fey realm, it I can't go into too much detail because, again, it's a spoiler, but I think I wanted to really examine the way people can be indoctrinated in different ways and have, even though they're raised within the same family, have totally different views or, yeah, I think, I think, I'll leave it at that, but that was how I kind of examined the political nature of the Fey realm. It's so true, though, where seemingly you have some of these figures where their mission is the same, um, but other things seem to be getting in the way that don't quite make sense. Is, yeah, is it's like, and, it's, and it's so frustrating, and it's mm -hmm. so frustrating. It was definitely, that was something that I wanted to explore. Absolutely. And so sort of similarly, you know, a lot of readers will turn to the fantasy genre as a little bit of an escape from reality or from the real world, but certainly books can be a really good tool for learning. And so how do you sort of incorporate those real life lessons into that fantasy setting or, or that fantasy story? Yeah, I think I will always, um, I always kind of revolve around things like identity politics. For me, that is something that's really important to me, although there isn't necessarily um, racism or oppression in the same way in, uh, in Feybound as there is in The Final Strife, which is quite clear cut. It is something that I really want to explore and always have kind of, you know, there, there are different races here. And although, you know, racism doesn't exist in the same way, um, there are differences that are perceived to be bad things um or you know the 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 fey are vilified in the history and we don't actually know what happened um things like that and i think i love the queer normativity and i just wish our world looked like that and i think sometimes fancy writers not all the time but i think it's definitely you know it's actually really easy to develop a queer normative world um and when you represent one I think you realize how easy it could be in real in the real life. You're like, huh, this actually isn't that difficult. Like if 
if we all just came together, <laughs> I'm hopeful. Um, so I think that is, you know, a, a way of education, I guess, I, you know, by showing something so simple, I think there's like a, a really throwaway line, like there's, there's trans characters throughout, the queer characters throughout, but there's a throwaway line where it's like, um, little, there was, mustaches were in, or was it beards? Beards were in fashion. Um, and little was like, one year she just decided oh she wanted one and I didn't even it didn't even occur to me to not have a woman try and have a beard you know it just for me it was showing how easy it could be to not have those kind of gender constraints um and so yeah I think it is really important to have elements like that where you can I also recognize that it's not necessarily fantasy's job to fix the world. Um, so I don't try, I don't go out of my way to go, this is a political statement that I'm trying to make. Um, I just do what I want to do. And if that manages to change some people's minds, then amazing. Absolutely. You sort of incorporate it where you can. Um, yeah. And I do think it's, it is helpful, I think, for some readers, right, where it's sort of in a, you know, a fantastical setting, just so that they look at it in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you did say you are currently writing Feybound 2. Is that right? Yes, I am. Okay. So again, in publishing, we're always like, on to the next before yeah. <laughs> this is even out. But is there anything you're allowed to talk about or share about the process we at least know we're getting more books yes it's a trilogy um and there will be a fury point of view which I'm very excited about um I haven't written that yet but that's going to be there um other than that you're just going to have to wait and see I guess Yes. I know it's so funny. And so I always ask authors this question and obviously you're only allowed to say so much. The first book isn't even out yet, <laughs> but you said a fury point of view and my mouth just like was on the floor. <laughs> so I think um, readers and listeners will be very eagerly anticipating, you know, this book and then the subsequent books in yes. the trilogy. Yes. I'm very excited. So a little bit of a a, gen, a little bit of a shift, but Feybound related. You are doing some really fun book tour events in in yes. 2024. The Feybound Ball in London. Yes. <laughs> that looks like an incredible time. I know. It's next week. It's kind of wild. I still haven't got my outfit sorted, but I'm going to. Um, yeah, it was quite funny. Me and my publicist sat down and I was like, should we do something just like really? fun and crazy and she was like yeah what <laughs> and I was like I don't I don't know I was like maybe like what about like a fable and then as soon as I said it I was like no 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 that's silly that's silly and she was like no let's do it <laughs> and so we've got this amazing venue got so many fairy lights we've got like glitter makeup artists coming it's yeah I'm very I'm very excited it sounds fantastic. I love that you just like you're leaning into it and just going all out for this event. It sounds, yeah. you know, like a real treat for the readers as well. Yeah, it was amazing. And I, I'm just I'm so lucky that just the the community, the book community is just the best. And it sold out in like four hours. And then we were trying to find a bigger venue, but it was just like just before Christmas. And we're like, there's nowhere. I can't book anything. So, um, yeah, we've been we've been very lucky. That's really exciting. And so is there anything, we're like barely into 2024. 
but Feybound comes out in just over a week's time in the UK and, and a little bit longer than that in the US. What are you sort of most looking forward to in 2024? Um, so I will be completing the final Strive trilogy, so the, the ending fire trilogy. So that's coming out in August. So yeah, I've got a double whammy year, which is really amazing. Um I yeah, I'm really I'm really excited for Feybound to come out. I just can't wait to see it in a bookstore. That would be really exciting. I'm also so <laughs> I've got another book I'm writing this year, which is my historical fiction debut, which is um, Cleopatra. And that's out next year. Is it? Yeah, next year. Um, And I'm doing uh, a research trip to Egypt, which will be amazing. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, But yeah, by the end of this year, I need to have written three more books. So I'm very busy. (laughs) extremely busy but a lot to look forward to I think and starting off the year on a really good foot yeah no it's it's, I'm just so lucky to do what I do well we're lucky I'm like we're as a reader I feel very lucky to have read this book oh thank you and so as we sort of wrap up uh, the conversation is there anything that you would want readers to take away from the story in Feybound I just want them to finish the book with a smile. I have had a few readers actually finish the book crying, which I was a bit concerned about. I was like, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Um, But I just, I just want people to go all in with the world and just immerse yourself and just come out with a smile. And that for me is the main thing. And that, you know, I have, I will have made that yeah that just makes my day you know just making readers happy um or cry you know I'll take tears I will take tears um but yeah I think that's yeah that's the main thing and I think the I think the ending could elicit either a smile or tears or both yeah yeah (laughs) I do see that (laughs) absolutely and so for our listeners what is the best place for them to find you online to make sure that they're up to date with everything that's going on um, so I'm on Instagram um, at Sarah Elarifi, uh, Twitter, but updates only at Sarah Elarifi. Um, I have a website, which is sarahelarifi.com. And I'm on TikTok, which is also Sarah Elarifi. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Feybound. It's been such a delight getting to know more about you and this book. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.